Amen. Once again, welcome. Y'all came to worship today. Love it. All right, so we're going to be in John chapter 5. We've started a series, I think week three now, of the seven signs in the gospel of John. John does not do what the other gospel writers do in many respects. He's, he's peculiar. Um, he says, I'm writing to help you believe in Jesus, to deepen your faith. And so he doesn't record all the miracles. He picks out seven. And these are signs pointing to Jesus, deepening our faith in Jesus. And today in John 5, we're going to engage a particular sign, a healing that is about change. All of us have things, I think, that we would like to change. And some of them are, are less consequential. But this morning, I want to think about those deeper changes, kind of trajectory changes, where you're headed. And this story will help us get there and do that. And so it starts on your outline this morning with a very important singular question, and that is, do you want to change? And this is a question Jesus asks to a lame man, a paralyzed man, here in John chapter 5, verse 6. Do you want to, in his case, do you want to get well? Seems like a simple question, but we're going to unpack that a little bit this morning uh, as we talk about motivation, as we talk about desire, as we talk about the want to, as we talk about the seek ye first kind of stuff. And so let's get going. John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate, there was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porticos or porches. Um, So it is holiday season in Jerusalem. The place is packed. There we have Jesus. Uh, He decides to go to a particular area of town near the Sheep Gate where you would find this pool, the pool of Bethesda. Bethesda, Beth, home, Esda, mercy. So this is Mercy House is the name of this pool, or House of Mercy. And I just think, before we go on, isn't that kind of interesting? Wherever, really, wherever you find Jesus, it's a mercy house. I mean, he is always about compassion for people. Uh, So he is a walking mercy house, and so should we be too. Amen? We should be, as the Church of Christ, we should be a house of mercy. And I don't know, I was kind of thinking about this week, about me, and I was like, well, is that me? Am I, am I a walking house of mercy? Or am I a, a walking house of, of judgment or criticism or stress or anxiety? Um, I want to be this. I want to be the house of mercy. I want to follow Jesus in this. Uh, and so verse 3, crowds of sick people. Trees, try to put this on your video screen this morning in your mind. Crowds of sick people. Not State Fair of Texas crowds, not holiday shopping crowds, crowds of sick people. We got blind, we got lame, we got paralyzed. They lay on the porches, laying around. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him, knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him this million-dollar question, Hey, would you like to get well? So you've got these crowds I mean, think, you know, county hospital, emergency room, waiting room, crowds of sick people. If you have traveled abroad, maybe Africa or, or some other uh, place where there are third world countries, and you've had the opportunity to go to one of these, like, public hospitals, you have probably got some idea what this looks like. In Brazil, 
Brazil, I believe, is not a third world country, but there are third world places within the country, and some of those would be the public hospitals, the public health system. It is underfunded, understaffed, and crowded. Uh, my family, we were blessed while we lived there for 10 years to have uh, health insurance, Plano de Saúde Bradesco. It was excellent. We had access to very nice private hospitals, excellent doctors, great medical care, but a lot of the people there had to rely on the public health system. I was talking to Jerry Heydrich this morning, one of our former missionaries to Brazil, and we were just sharing stories, and he said, yeah, I mean, if you wanted to be seen, you needed to show up and get in line at like three in the morning, right? Uh, if you needed something serious, you know, heart surgery or something, I knew people who had, who had to be on a waiting list for two years, you know, which if you make it two years before your quadruple bypass, it raises the question, did you really need a quadruple bypass? Uh, but it's, it's just a bad, bad situation. And, and you would show up, and we would go there, uh, thankfully not for treatment for ourselves, but, but we would have church members or family members of church members, and we would go there to minister, to pray with them. And those places, especially like the waiting areas, were crowded, not enough seats. If you were really sick, you're probably lying on the floor there. And, and the sights and the sounds, the groaning of the sick and, and the, the, the smells... You just don't forget that. And in Brazil, I mean, you get in and finally, and a doctor sees you, and you might get sent down the street to the pharmacy. Uh, we need you to go buy several packages of gauze and some medical tape and some bandages and this medicine because the hospital doesn't have it. I mean, shortages. And that was happening all the time. And, and I kind of imagine that for me as I think about this scene. Crowds of sick people lying around. Sick enough where they're not walking around. They're, not mil they're, they're lying around. And so John 5, it, it, if, you've been to, if you've seen the third world hospital, this requires little imagination. And this is interesting, right? Um, Jesus goes to Jerusalem. And Jesus chooses to go here. Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda, and when Jesus was there, he saw. How many people who have a good circumstance financially, who do have nice health, how many people avoid places where there are human beings suffering? The Church of Christ, we go to places where there are people suffering. We try to have the eyes of Jesus and see these people. That's where compassion starts. Amen? It starts with seeing somebody. Okay? In fact, I think there's a little portable wisdom that you can just put in your pocket and take home today. Jesus sees the man. Jesus stops to engage the man. And Jesus says, see, stop, say. Those principles hold today. If you want to show compassion to somebody, you've got to be willing to see them and to stop. And to say a word, to speak a word, to pray a word of comfort over them. And so that's what we've got here. And Jesus asked this really uh, sort of weird question. A guy been paralyzed for 38 years. Do you want to get well? It seems like the answer to that would be so obvious. Of course he wants to get well. Of course he wants to get well. Is it that simple? Maybe you know someone. Maybe you are someone who's been in, let's say, a sick marriage. Misery. It's hard. Year after year. And maybe you know this couple, and 
they've just kind of become accustomed to it. Maybe 38 years. Just kind of, well, it's just the way it is. They've kind of given up on improving. So this question, do you want to get well? Eh, I don't think the answer is always that obvious. Maybe you know someone who's addicted to drugs or alcohol, and, and they know it, and you know it, everybody knows it, but they keep opting not to get treatment for that, not to go to rehab or not to deal with it. Do you want to get well? Eh, not always that simple, is it? Maybe you know someone who's constantly dealing with financial troubles. Debt is growing, not enough income, just tangled up financially, but they don't go to a financial counselor who can help them come up with a plan to deal with this. They don't seem to cut their expenses. I mean, they still got cable. They still got a nice car. They haven't sold that. I mean, I'm just telling it like it is. I mean, we know people, oh, I, I need to, I've got financial problems. Huh. Do, do, do you want to get well? I mean, want to get well? I mean, when we talk about wanting something, I think we're talking about above all else. Seek first. The other things will be added. Seek first the kingdom. Do you want to get well, or is it one of a lot of different things that you want, and so you never really get around to dealing with your issues? I think these are questions that just leap off the page in this text. And some folks who say they want to get well, but maybe aren't doing anything about it, well, they've got what? They've got excuses. There are reasons I haven't gotten well. There are reasons I haven't done that. There are reasons I haven't gone to counseling. There are reasons I haven't dealt with my addiction. There are reasons I haven't dealt with my financial situation. And this guy had his reason. And it seems, verse 7, pretty airtight. I can't, sir, the sick man said. I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. That's why I'm not well. So let's talk about this bubbling water a little bit this morning. I don't want to spend a lot of time here. Uh, Likely there was a superstition or a legend that when the water would bubble, it was an angel of God that was making that water stir, and the first person to get in the pool when the water started stirring would be healed. Uh, That is, if you have a King James Version... Or a new King James Version, you have verse 4. The rest of us, it skips from verse 3 to verse 5. Why is that? Well, the earliest manuscripts do not contain verse 4. That appears to have been added later. Think of it, we're not saying the King James is bad or the new King James is bad. Think of it as bonus material, all right? Like on your DVD. There's a little something extra there, uh, but it was added in later, and probably this is a superstition that an angel was making this way. It's probably a spring-fed pool, and spring-fed pools of water just bubble up. You know, there's stuff that ha- it stirs every once in a while. So that's going on there. Back to the text, verse 8. Jesus told this man, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Quite a thing to say to a paralyzed person. Stand up, pick up your mat, start walking. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. Uh Uh-oh. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, think about this. Is this a house of mercy kind of thing to ask this poor guy? Think about this. They heard he was cured. They said, you can't work on the Sabbath. 
The law doesn't allow you to carry your sleeping mats. That's what they care about. That's their concern. This is what gets their blood going. This is what gets their blood pressure up. You're carrying your mat. And it's the Sabbath day. So they're wagging their fingers at this poor guy. He replied, the man who healed me. It's this guy who healed me. He said, pick up your mat and walk. Who done it, right? Verse 12, who said such a thing as that? They demanded. The man didn't know. This has been kind of a, in this crowd of people, it had been kind of a quiet, under the radar kind of thing. Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him. And I love this. He goes to the temple. He wants to praise God. Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well. So stop sinning. Or something even worse may happen to you. I promise. We'll talk about that. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders, Okay, it was Jesus who had healed him. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, My father is always working, and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. They're going homicidal now. For he is not only broke the Sabbath, but he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. A lot is happening here. You've got a man who is healed after decades of being in this miserable situation. You've got controversy over who did it, more importantly, when they did it, what day of the week. And then you've got this odd thing Jesus does where he tells the guy, hey, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And so we're going to tackle these, but in general, let's keep that theme of talking about change, talking about transformation. And the first thing when it comes to change is back to that question. It's this. It's making the decision. Do I want my life to be different? Or verse 6, do you want to get well? It's easy to say, well, of course I do. But do you want it? Do you want it above the comfort and the predictability of your current life? You can say you want to change, but deep down, gut level, wanting it, desiring it, that's a different matter. A person could say they want a better marriage, a better job, a better life. But do they want it more than what they've become accustomed to? Guy's been living like this for 38 years. Same friends, misery loves company. Same group there at the pool of Bethesda. They on a first name basis with each other. Same predictable routine every day. Getting healed would be a big disruption. And you're thinking, crazy, of course he wants to be healed. It'd be a big disruption. It'd be a change in everything. For starters, now that you're well, there's going to be some responsibility. People are going to expect you to do some things. They're going to expect you to serve. They're going to expect you to produce. No more excuses. An alcoholic who keeps hanging out with buddies at the bar begs the question, you really want to get well? You really want to get well? So key question here. Do you want to change? Check this out. Put this on your outline this morning. Just tell it like it is here. If you really want to do something, you find a way. If not, you find an excuse. 
If you really want to do something, you find a way. If not, you can, you can find an excuse. And the poor fellow had his, I have no one to help me in the pool. One more Brazil story, if you'll permit me. I knew a couple, they visited our church for a while. They had been together for 30 years, this man and this woman. They had children together. They had grandchildren together, but they were not married. And so I talked to them about that. I said, don't you want to get married? Ah, yeah, of course we want to get married. Sure do. And I said, well, why aren't you married? I mean, the obvious question, why aren't you married? Well, you know, it's expensive. You go to the cartoon, the cartoon is like the justice of the peace. You go there and you got to pay. The- I said, I'll pay it right now. Let's go get married. Let's do this. Well, it's not that simple. And so we keep talking, and then they finally open up. They had their reason. She had been married way back when, before they got together 30 years ago, and she had been married, and her husband had, had, they had, got, had, they, he had passed away, and she was getting his pension every month. True story. And Jerry's over there. I'm sure he can, he's heard it, because I heard this more than once. If we get married, I lose this money. Okay. Now we're getting down to it. You don't really want to get married. Or at least you don't want it as much as you want that check in the mail each week. Just glad that we're clear on this. And so just try to help them, try to encourage them. As far as I know, they never did get married. I ran into a guy a few years back, and we've probably all had stories like this, um, but I ran into a guy that was having some financial difficulties. He told me he, he, uh, you know, he, he really wanted to get a job and get work, and he had some physical issues, but I mean, you could tell he could easily go out and get a job and work and stuff, and so I said, well, I know of some job opportunities. He was never interested in hearing about those job opportunities because if he got a job, He lost his check from the government, right? So he kind of wanted a job, but eh, not so much in the end. Look, I'm not trying to just beat on people, but but this is the thing. There is a cost to making changes, right? You know this. There is always a price to pay for getting well for being transformed. There always is. And so the next bullet point there is stop making excuses. What's holding you back? What's that crutch? What's that obstacle that you, oh, I can't do it because of this. What are the reasons for staying stuck? This guy had his reason. No one is helping me into the pool. I mean, maybe. 38 years though? No one in 38 years would get you in the water first? I don't know. Or maybe he had gotten in the water a couple of times, but it hadn't worked, you know. And so we're trying to, I don't know. But really, he didn't need that water, did he? He needed the living water. He needed Jesus. We see that in this story, uh, which gets us to the next principle of change. And this is about faith in Jesus. Here goes. Start trusting in the power of Christ. Start trusting in the power of Christ. Will I believe in his love for me, in his purpose for me, in his power unleashed in my life? Will I lean into that? Will I throw myself into that? Jesus said, get up. And suddenly, at once, the man was healed. 
Don't you just love how Jesus asks people to do impossible things? Guy's been paralyzed for 38 years. Stand up. Take your mat. Walk home. I think Jesus loves asking people to do what they think is not possible. And check this out. What's not possible for you is possible for you and Jesus. <laughs> I mean, and so that's why he does this. He needs for us to believe in him. And in this relationship, he needs to have the freedom to ask us to do hard things. Things that may seem impossible for us. Why? Because Christ will not call you to it if he won't see you through it. Jesus is not going to ask you to do something that he is not going to walk with you on. That he's not going to go with you on that journey. So in the text, Jesus said a hard thing to this man. And then he said this strange thing. He said, get up and walk. Then later he says this strange thing. He says, stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. That certainly raises an eyebrow as you're working through the text. Stop sinning. I mean, what did this guy struggle with? We don't know. What do you struggle with? I don't know. I hope you know. Everybody has a signature sin. Everybody struggles with sin in this room. What is your struggle? This guy had his. Jesus knew what it was. He hopefully knew what it was. And Jesus says, you've got to deal with that. There was something in this guy's life that had to change beyond being able to walk if he was going to grow, if he was going to mature, if he was going to become the new him. Now that he was well, there would be expectations for him. Now that he was well, there would be responsibilities in his life. Now that he was well, what would he do with this newfound health? Jesus catches up with him, verse 14. You look wonderful. This is from the message. You look wonderful. You're well. Don't return to the sinning life or something worse might happen. What does this tell, tell us? Well, it tells us, next bullet point there, it tells us that we have got to choose over and over and over to live in the new identity, to live in what Christ has for us, to live this kingdom life instead of going back to what we've always done. Jesus called him to higher living. Jesus says, I removed this obstacle from your life. Now, what are you going to do with it? Start this new chapter. Your legs got healed. Now your life needs to get healed. Your spirit needs to be healed. And Jesus, we talk about this sometimes. You read the Gospels. He is not all that interested in being an additive to your life. He is not all that interested in you inviting him in as a as a personal improvement counselor, like, help you out a little bit. I'm struggling here. Jesus, could you help me out here? Help me out here. He is interested in being who he is, Lord of lords, King of kings. He is not interested in you writing him into your life script. 
As Lord, He wants to write you in to His script. We talk about welcoming Jesus into our life. I think that's okay. That's a, that's a good idea. But more than that, He wants to welcome you into His life. And that's what's going on in this story. Now, crazy, right? The story, how all of a sudden these religious leaders are livid. I mean, they are losing it. They are trying to figure out a way to murder Jesus. Why? Why did they lose it? He breaks the Sabbath rule, and all of a sudden there's this reaction. They lost it because Jesus was acting like God, okay? The rules are there. He's acting like God. He's like, acting like, well, I can overlook it because I need to heal this guy this day. I mean, he's acting like he gets to ignore the rules. Not only is he acting like God, he is talking like God. God is my Father, and my Father is at work, and so I need to be at work like my Father. And my Father works on Sabbath days, not just on Monday through or Sunday through Friday. He works on Saturdays too. And they, and they I'm going to give him credit here for some good theology. He was acting like God. He was talking like he thought he was God, which gets us to the burning question. Who is Jesus for you? In verse 12, they ask, who healed you? Who is this guy? In verse 18, they say, Jesus is acting like he thinks, that phrase there, he's acting like he thinks he is equal to God. Well, guess what? He was. He was God in the flesh. Who is Jesus for you? If Jesus is a wise sage, a teacher, a counselor, that's nice, okay? If Jesus is someone that you can pray to that's going to help you out with your struggle right now, that's nice, and that's part of who Jesus is. If Jesus is equal to God, if He is the living embodiment of God or the Son of God, He's got to be more than that. He has got to have the freedom not just to heal this sickness, this point of pain in your life. He's got to be, have the freedom to be Lord, and to call you to a totally different sort of life. I'll help you with that. But I want to heal your entire life. Not just this point. Not just this problem. Not just help you get a job, help you get a promotion, help you get over this sickness, help... I've got to have the freedom as Lord and Savior to do more than that. Which gets me to my final question for you this morning. Is He that for you? Is He your Lord? Is He your Savior? You can cross that line of faith right now, this morning. You can put Jesus on in baptism. You can repent, which basically means throwing away your script and saying yes to His script, to His agenda. Maybe you just need prayers this morning, huddling up with somebody and bringing to Jesus what your problem is, what your issue is, what, what's keeping you up at night, and you can certainly do that. We do that. Wherever Jesus is, there is a house of mercy, and this is his house. And we deal with the real pains and problems of life together.
However you need to respond, do that as we stand together and worship. You call me.